Happy New Year and welcome to the first ever episode of MHTA The Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Awa. Before we start exploring the world of mental health, the arts, global mental health and creativity, I thought it'd be best to take you on the founder's journey. This is a disclaimer and also trigger warning to say that I'll be speaking about my personal experience with depression, anxiety and suicidal ideation. So if you do find that parts of this episode is distressing or does bring up some trauma or emotions, you can contact me via the MHTA website, which is www.mhta-ldn.org, where I'll be able to have a conversation with you and help support you on your journey by signposting you to relevant organizations that will be able to provide you with the resources that you need. So without further ado, let's begin. Let's begin by painting the picture. I'm 28 years old and I grew up in inner southwest London in one of the poorest boroughs and one of the poorest council estates in the whole of the United Kingdom that was riddled with poverty, bad social housing, gang culture and lack of opportunities. My parents migrated from Ghana in the 90s and I am the eldest of three children. That should paint an interesting picture for you right now. (laughs) Primary school was an interesting experience for me. I went to two primary schools in South London and I didn't really feel like I fitted into a friendship group. Not saying that I wasn't ever in a friendship group, but I always felt like I was different. And it wasn't because I looked different because the population of my primary school was predominantly black. Um, But it was more so about characteristics. And I always felt like I needed to express myself a lot more than um, I could in school in terms of like the capacity of subjects that you could do in school. But one thing I did realise was that anytime there was an opportunity to play an instrument or to dance, I definitely was the one that had my hand up um, in school to take that opportunity. I would also say that I was a tomboy. Um, I did not dress girly (laughs) at all. I got involved in athletics quite young and I would always get involved in playing football, playing rugby, running around with the boys in school because I found that more interesting than sitting around talking about girly topics or at the time reading like word up and fantasizing over boy bands like that was just not (laughs) it was just not my thing at home I was a child that always was very curious and asked a lot of questions and so when my dad would watch BBC News, I would always ask questions about Tony Blair, my favourite Prime Minister, or just engage in politics as well. In addition to that, I was also very musically inclined because my my dad used to play a lot of reggae and just Ghanaian music at home. So I was open to that world from a very young age as well. Having shared my interests as a child, growing up in a council estate and in a primary and going to a primary school in South West London, I experienced bullying. Um, I was often bullied because of my appearance. 
And that played a huge part in my self-confidence and self-esteem and the sense of feeling rejected from a very, very young age. Um, I remember, um, I'm not going to go into it, but I do remember like moments where it was so bad that my mum would have to come to the school to tell the child that was bullying me to stop bullying me. And I just remember like always crying um, because I didn't have the words to ex- the words to express how I felt. I just felt disgusting. I was called ugly. I supposedly had a big nose. I had big lips. Um, they would often the bullies would often use the slang word of blick, which in slang basically translates to you being very very dark and the fact that your dark is very unattractive. So I hated myself, I hated the way I looked, Um, I hated, yeah, I just hated the way I looked and this started from like those crucial years where you're building your self-confidence, you're still trying to understand who you are as an individual and those played into like my friendships and um, growing up I was very, very reserved, like I wouldn't if I was in pain, I wouldn't share that I'm in pain. I would probably cry and that was it. I didn't really know much about emotional intelligence. In secondary school, I think I built up the confidence, in a se- my confidence in a sense where I was very rude and that was my defence mechanism as a result of the bullying that I encountered, encountered growing up. So, again, like, I felt like I had friendship groups in school, but I didn't, again, I didn't feel like I felt into a set group. So there was part of me that was like really nerdy. I loved reading different types of books, like for example, a series of unfortunate events by Levin Snicket. That was an amazing series. And then there was a side of me that wanted to be part of the, the cool kids, the rude kids, the kids that got in trouble in school or the kids that were always talking in class or making fun of the teacher. So I wouldn't say that I was in a group. I just, yeah, I was just floating if you wanted to, if you wanted to call it that. My home life wasn't bad. It was challenging at some points, like any household would have its challenges. But for me, I felt like in school they teach you you need to be part of you well not you need to but you're part of a nuclear family where there's mum dad brother sister and then there's you for example um but for me coming from a home where my parents obviously migrated from Ghana the intersectionality of identities between the migrant culture and the host cult or country that you you're moving into actually creates a host of challenges and so me and my siblings and obviously my parents faced challenges that were very difficult um, and living in a council estate also came with its challenges as well so it was hard like I'm not going to sit down for a sec and be like oh it was easy it was hard but there was something in me even despite some of the challenges that I've expressed already that kept me going like I was very ambitious my parents used to buy me books so my dad bought me an atlas when I was 
young and I would look at it and be like, oh my gosh, I want to travel around the world. I would watch politics with my dad and be like, I want to become the next prime minister. And so in school, although I didn't really fit in, there were things that I got involved in. I know this sounds like so complicated. I got involved in the student council. I was, I was a member of the student council. So local student politics was all, always something that was of interest of me and in making decisions. Um, from a from that age of like 16 to 18 but whilst that was happening I basically failed my first year of college and had to do a lot of repeats in my second year and at that time there was challenges in my home now I'm going to be very transparent with you my mother was showing signs of mental ill health and there's a saying and it basically says um whatever happens in the home stays in the home so all the emotion and pain you can imagine I experienced from things that were happening at home I suppressed and then when I was in college or when I was in school there would be moments where I would have outbursts of anger and my teacher would be like um you need anger management because of the way I explode there wasn't anything like a student nurse well there was student nurse but at the time there was no counsellor so I remember just going back quickly in school I remember there was a teacher that I absolutely hated (laughs) those that went to my secondary school would know exactly who I'm talking about and there was one day where she did something and it triggered me and I was basically gonna throw a chair at her because that's how angry I was and she sent me out of the classroom and then after that they were like you need anger management lessons and I was like anger management lessons I was just like no it's patronizing I don't want to sit in front of a professional that tells me to draw things on a piece of paper and then explain how I feel like for me at the time I was like that's absolutely ridiculous I'm not doing that similarly in college I had an instance with a teacher and she would always do things that would trigger me again and then they were like you need to do anger management so at that point I tried anger management did one session they told me to draw something on a piece of paper I was like I'm not doing this (laughs) and I just didn't I didn't go back because I was just like I don't understand why you're telling me to tell you how I feel by drawing something on a piece of paper and I'm a seven no how old was I I was seven yeah I'm a 17 year old girl like I'm grown (laughs) it's so funny me like sharing these experiences now because I'm just like I I was not I was young I was still very young but it was almost as if I had an unconscious stigma attached to my mind about anger management and about those things that were going to help me process my feelings and emotions um during my teenage years I also rebelled um and started raving from a very young age. Um, I started going to 18 plus raves at the age of 14. And I loved it. I loved it because for me, I love dancing. Um, so I always knew the latest moves, was also, also always listening to the latest tunes. I was at my happiest when I was dancing. Honestly speaking, that was when I was my happiest. In college was when I experienced, I would say that I experienced depression for the first time. And I was just hiding it behind a facade. 
like the way I dressed and the laughing and the giggling and the messing around at college um but I would go home and I would cry myself to sleep because of the things that were happening in my home like there would be there would be no food there would be no electricity and yeah it was tough I just hated my life um and that depression slowly developed into suicidal ideation where I would basically pray and ask God to take my life or I would always be like I hate my life I hate the way I look I hate everything about me I can't do what my friends do I can't afford to do what my friends are doing like going ice skating going on holiday going on going to sleepovers like I just I just hated my life so for me rebelling during that time was like I'm going to do what makes me happy and at the time that was raving but there was always this anxiety that set in after the rave finished and I was walking to the doorsteps of my house and I was just like I don't know what I'm going to encounter on the other side of the door. I'm going to fast forward to university and university There's moments that I liked and moments that I didn't like, but it was the beginning of basically me understanding who I was and my journey in this life. And obviously I'm not going to go into too much detail about what happened at university. Although my parents used to go to church, um, I've always been in church from a very young age. I would say that I, faith became a, a major thing to me when I was at university because of situations that happened. I was just like, you know, I need, I need God, I need <laughs> faith right now, that's the only thing that's going to literally save me. Um, shortly after my second year of university, my mother became ill, her mental health deteriorated at a drastic level, um, <sighs> she would, in college basically, she the signs of mental ill health was so paramount um and it would basically showcase itself in aggress in in her in the way she was aggressive she would walk out the house um like really late in the night um and she she neglected us and so there was moments where there'll be no money in the house, no le- no money to put on the electricity card or gas card. Um, and so how I dealt with that at the time, because obviously I had exams as well, would be to just go to the library after college and sit there until the library closed and then go home and basically I might not eat or I'll just sit in the dark basically until the next day. Um, there was moments where I didn't have money for college and at the time there was EMA so I would use my EMA money to buy myself food to eat although I was very bad at budgeting (laughs) I still had moments where I was able to buy like my favorite sweets and stuff like that um so second year of university my mum was officially diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. That hit me like a ton of bricks. 
with me being in church at the time, they were my support system. Like my friends, my friends and my church were my family. So essentially um, I built a community around me that would support me. My mum was sectioned and then she came out of hospital and basically in my final year, she she relapsed basically and I became the nearest relative which means that you take full responsibility in making decisions for the person that is in care again that was tough and just to say like universities and mental health support it's improved since I left university which was about six years ago but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in that area um, so I graduated from university and then set out to understand more about my purpose and I joined Time to Change in 2014 and basically that is a campaign that raises awareness against stigma and discrimination towards mental health. That gave me the opportunity to speak on so many different platforms um, and that was engaging with the public, basically, basically breaking down those stigmas um, and understanding what mental health was um and the comparison and the differences between what mental health is and what mental illness is and then also signposting them to relevant organizations i was able to go to a conference that kofi annan was at rest rest in peace which was called the crisis of depression i think it was called the crisis of depression my first ever speaking engagement was in in Lambeth Council speaking about my caring experience because from the point that I became the nearest relative I then became a carer at the age of 22. So why did I stop mental health the arts? For me I enjoyed having these these key conversations with people in different departments of government and also just people like gen like the general public but there was something in me that was like, I need to do more. Most of the time I was either the youngest person or the only carer in the room. And so one day I thought about creating a platform for young people with a lived experience of mental health. And for me, that was the beginning of Mental Health The Arts. And I basically merged my passion for dance with my increasing passion for mental health and I wanted to provide a platform where young people could express themselves as in like a young person could come and want to sing about their journey or experience of mental ill health or they could be a carer and they could also be experiencing suicide ideation or have bipolar disorder and they want to be able to express that that's what I I just wanted to just give that platform because I never received that sort of supports as well. So in 2016, I launched Mental Health The Arts and it's been an inch, it's been the most phenomenal journey. Obviously it's come with its challenges with me and caring and obviously trying to navigate my own finances, my career and what I wanna do in life. But it's been an amazing experience. Starting that in 2016 gave me the voice that I didn't have as a child. For me, I, I gained another level of confidence in myself and in who I am and why I am the way I am because of the experience I experiences I had as a child through my teenage years to my young adult years. So I did a few incubators 
business incubators and in 2017 I was like I loved being able to so I I won a few awards and competition and a competition I was like there's more that I want to do because I felt like it wasn't sustainable enough so I basically changed what mental health the arts did and obviously the first year was phenomenal I was able to um, I won a competition with Hatch Enterprise I was part of school social entrepreneurs um, incubator course I was also a social action partner with NCS, which meant that I was able to work with 15 to 17 year olds. And I did events here and there, Um, but I wanted it to change. And I wanted it to change to a early intervention creative arts academy. Um, And the reason for that being is because like I said, I wanted it to be sustainable. I felt like there was more that I wanted to do in the educating side of things. And so in 2018, it became a early intervention creative arts academy for young people between the ages of 13 to 25 who have direct and indirect experience of mental health. And that transformation really gave me the infrastructure that I wanted. It get, it, it felt like I had stepped up my game with in the mental health industry. And it wasn't just, a, just about me sharing my story. It was more about raising awareness and ensuring that young people have the right support at the early stages because statistically we know that almost 70 percent of young people who have mental illness do not have the right support at an appropriate age and so I wanted to bridge that gap I wanted to be the one that would bridge the gap between cam services child and adolescent mental health services and adult services I wanted to be the one that if there was a young person in university who didn't have the right support mental health the arts was there so the mission slightly changed as I explained but for me they felt like there was something missing I was working with young people who had lived experience of mental health which was amazing and also just young people who were aware of mental health so that was young people in schools and colleges and universities as well where I was doing workshops but there was something missing and then one day that light began to shine and I realized that I wasn't working with carers I wasn't working with young carers and it was just like how can I not be working with young carers when I have experience of being a carer and I'm still currently caring So in 2019, basically, I was commissioned by Lambeth Council. I then went on to create a pilot program for young carers. And that was phenomenal, honestly, like creating a project from scratch with nothing, creating a project and seeing it come to life and being everything in that project, basically, apart from actually teaching the the carers, that was that was an amazing experience I learned so much from that and also finding the balance of being the program coordinator of this amazing project called the arts program to which you'll find more about on on the website to understanding that I am not I cannot solve their problems but I can give them a piece of my life that they can take and run with because they're able to understand that I've been through what they've been through and I've been able to become a social entrepreneur. So you're probably wondering where I'm at now. So at the moment I'm doing a master's in public mental health. My academic dream 
is to basically bridge the gap between acad- academia and practice. So looking at social care, seeing the Im- the mental health impacts that caring has on young carers from ethnic minority groups. And that was just purely based on my experiences. Where I am, na- I am at now is in a completely different place. Like I've been able to go to 10 Downing Street. I've been able to speak to key decision makers, politicians. I've won awards and all those things are great. Um, but what is really rewarding for me is seeing the young people change, seeing the young people speak to me and then go and do phenomenal things. And I've had people that have come to either my events or workshops and they've gone on to create their own charities. They've gone on to share their story for the first time. That is, for me, that is the most rewarding thing. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So this is the founder's journey. A journey of challenges, tribulations, highs and lows. What have you been able to take away from this episode? Let me know. You can either follow us on our Instagram or Twitter at mhta underscore ldn. Drop us a review or contact us via our website. We'd love to hear from you.